Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've uh, been putting together where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my uh, thoughts and takes and perspectives about what's going on in the uh, investing world, and hopefully provide you with some nuggets of information that can help you, that you could take back into your own personal uh, situation and circumstance, and ultimately it's going to hopefully help you make more successful investment decisions. My name is Amin Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I, what I try to do is, is I try to work, I work with people who want to become more financially independent. The problem is when people start getting into the whole investing side of things is they freeze, they get frustrated, they get intimidated by the whole investing concept. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing, or I've worked with people who have been investing for a long time but just aren't getting any traction with their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach when people come to me is, is I teach them. I, I engage with people on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that people can achieve a certain level of freedom in their lives, a financial freedom in their lives, and achieve it with confidence. Now, as an investment coach, uh, you know, as somebody who's found, I found my own practice uh, as 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 an investment coach. Uh, it what I do essentially revolves around teaching, uh, teaching people how to invest, and really, when you really get down to it, teaching people how to make better investment decisions. And you know, over time, I've 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 incorporated and developed and implemented various different you know products and tools uh, to, to get people to that level and get people to improve their investing competencies and you know and there's so many different ways to do to learn investing there's no one way to 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 become a good investor I think there's different uh, philosophies and strategies uh, mine personally the one that I adopt with my practice is more of a principles based approach where I teach people the concepts around them and the principles around investing and then layer on top of that um, some behavioral aspects of investing and then on top of all that just practice because um, these are the elements that I've seen that help people uh, become better investors. Now <clears throat> over time one of the things I, I feel really I felt really strongly about in, in what I do and how I do it uh, is is transparency. You know, it's it's one thing for me to sit there and teach people a bunch of concepts and how to read an income statement, how to read a balance sheet, how to value a company, how to understand, be more aware of their behavioral biases that can screw up their investment decisions. It's one thing for me to teach all that. It's another thing to to model the behavior. It's another thing to practice, demonstrate these, and apply these concepts, and. Even more so, it's a totally different thing to actually show that if you do these type of things and you apply these concepts, that you can get good results, that good things can happen, you can make better investment decisions. And so uh, I've tried to, you know, over time, and I'm, I'm trying to do this a little bit more in, in terms of, uh, in, in trying to be, be more transparent. And there's various ways that I've been doing it um, through my blogs. Um, my pot you know, through stock talk, um, my podcast, and doing videos, and also doing my weekly newsletters. I'm trying to demonstrate 
um, the practicing, the doing side of investing, more about the, the conceptual, you know, uh, academic kind of concepts of investing. Because the reality is there's a lot of people out there who can talk about investing, who can write about investing, who can philosophize about investing. They can do it way the hell better than I can. Um, and I find there's a lot of people out there and a lot of, and, and get, don't get me wrong, the, the people that do this are like unbelievable. They, I couldn't do justice to what, what, what these people are doing. I'm talking about the Morgan households and the, the Josh Browns, um, you know, and you got your Buffets and all that stuff who can just articulate investing so and write about investing so much better than I can. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an applications person. I'm a, I got into investing because, hey, I want to make money and I, I want to have, have a secure financial future. And so I'm, I'm more interested in the doing part than I am the, the philosophizing part. And, uh, and so, you know, I've tried very hard in my blogs um, and videos to, to demonstrate that, uh, that the, the concepts that I talk about, I'm applying them and I'm show, trying to show you um, that I'm practicing investing, that I'm engaging investing and that you, by doing these elements, by developing these competencies, you can get results. And, uh, and it's about showing not just the results, but it's also just showing the thought process of how you get about that. Because I find a lot of when you read a lot of blogs and a lot of uh, and people, they talk around investing. They don't talk on investing. They don't do investing. And, you know, I've tried to do it in various ways. And one of the things I do at the end of the year, you know, I talk about performances. At the end of the year, I, I kind of post my annual performance, how my portfolios have done, talk about what's good, what's bad, what I did well and what did well. And because at the end of the day, when people want to look at how you're performing and the results, it's all about how your your portfolios are doing. And yeah, that's one way you can you can judge and measure people's performance and measure how good or bad an investor people are. But I find the the snapshot approach kind of it's it's essentially a snapshot in time. And when you look at portfolios in an aggregate, you really don't look at the decisions that have gone into making that. You're kind of looking you're looking at the out the outcome, and what I've been trying to do over the last few years is, you know, I talk about that. I, I you know, I, I, you know, I post all that stuff, but I'm really more interested in in the nuts and bolts of the decisions that go into making that portfolio because I think that's something we all face. Like we all know, we got to set up a brokerage account, and we put money in the account, and then we freeze because we have no idea what we want to do with our money, what we want, what kind of stocks, bonds, ETFs we want to buy. We don't really get into that that moment where you have to figure out whether you want to buy Apple or you want to buy or you want to sell your Facebook stock. That's what we don't get into. And so what I was trying to figure out, uh, I was trying to figure out where, where I can kind of present this to, where I can kind of measure it or quantify it and measure it and kind of see what kind of learnings that are. So a couple few years ago, what I did is like I thought would be an interesting exercise was to just go back in my records, go back in my files, and just look at taking a big sample size of investment decisions that I made and see how I did and see if we can get some insights into it. And so what I've been doing is I've essentially kind of doing this on a moving basis is that I've just kind of at certain points of time just stopped and just went, I want to see the last 100 investment decisions that I made. How did I do on those last 100 investment decisions, starting from today and going back the last 100 decisions? Did I do well? Did I, 
how many of those decisions were positive and how many of those decisions were negative and what insights can we get out of it? What could, what I, so I, I started to do this and it was just something I was just doing on my own, but I thought, you know what, this is something I really would like to share with people, especially people that, you know, were interested in learning about investing from me and want to know what kind of track record and, you know, does the stuff that I teach, you know, do anything um, because I do apply what I teach. Um, so I started this a couple years ago in 2016. I just said, you know what? I just give me the last hundred decisions that I made, and let's see how how good or bad I did on it. And so what I've done is actually this. What I want to talk to you today about is I've updated the list, and now I wanted to share with you uh, my last hundred decisions that I've made as of right now, going back a hundred decisions. And I just want to share with you saying, um, hey, you know, how are things going? Like, uh, how have I been doing? And again, you can be the judge of it. I'm just going to put the information out there. I have posted a blog post on this on my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can click on it. I'll have a link on it, um, with my summary for the podcast, and you can check it out. So, um, so why 100? I thought, okay, why don't I pick 100? Because I thought 100 is a pretty good sample size. Um, so it's, you know, statistically significant, I guess. Um, and it's just a nice even number. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just an even number. And it's, it's, it's big enough and not too small enough that I could just do, some, do a quick, um, quick analysis on it. So for as of right now, um, in the latest iteration or latest update, um, out of those last 100 investment decisions that I made, 84 of those investment decisions were positive. Now, when I talk about an investment decision, let me just clarify this too, is what is an investment decision? Investment decision that I classify, the way I classify it, is a situation where I've made a decision to buy a stock, a bond, or an ETF, more specifically stocks or ETF, ETFs, and later on down the road, I made the decision to sell that. And so that entire cycle of buying and selling a stock is a decision. And so what I've done is essentially gone through the last 100 decisions that I've made in terms of buying a stock and then eventually selling it. Was it a positive um, decision, i.e. did I sell it at a profit, or was it a bad decision in the sense that I lost money off of it? So 84 of the last 100 investment decisions that I've made have been positive. So essentially four out of five, every four out of five investment decisions I've made have been good. And that's crazy because, um, you know, the way I was brought up was, uh, you know, you're going to make a couple of good, in for every five investment decisions, a couple of them are going to be good. Maybe a, one will be, you know, kind of okay flat and the other two are going to be crap. So the fact that I'm able to do four out of five positive de investment decisions to me is very humbling. And to me, it feels, I feel great about it because obviously you're making more money, but it also kind of validates how I've been doing this stuff, how I've been making these decisions and the framework. And I'll get into that in a second. Just want to throw you some numbers. If I uh, kind of drill down a little bit to see what the breakdown of, of, of these decisions look like. And again, on, on my blog, I go into it. It's all there, but I'm just going to give you some quick highlights because I just don't want to bore you on some of this stuff. But 88% of the decisions that were positive, that out of those 84 decisions that were positive, um, 84 decisions, 88% of them generated double-digit returns, at least 10%. Um, if I looked at the average return of those decisions that I made, it was 13.4%. Uh, 
And uh, the median return, which would be the 50th investment decision out of that 100th that I made, generated 19.9%. Just to actually give you some comparisons. The average return was 13.4 on the 100 decisions. The year before it was 10.9. The median investment decision, the 50th uh, investment decision that I made generated 19.9% return versus the previous year it was 18.1%. My top investment decision over the 100 was 45.4% uh, return, which was Visa. And my worst investment decision was where I lost 84% on holding mega brands, which is still consistent. It's still, to this day, the worst investment decision I have ever made. Um, just to give you some context, again, uh, 84 out of 100 were positive decisions. Last year, when I took the the when I looked at the one, top 100, 76 out of 100 were positive. And the first year I did it, it was 74. So. I'm actually getting better at this, which is quite, I thought if I was just gonna stay stable or even if I fell a little bit, I thought that'd be realistic, but it looks like it, it's like it's getting better. And uh, that's crazy. And uh, I really didn't see myself, it's amazing when you when you put it on a, look at it in black and white, how, um, how big it is, like how really, like it just kind of crystallizes everything for you. So. Straight up, if I looked at the result numbers right now, so far really good. Really, it's been really, really good, and I'm really, really pleased that hey, I'm making good investment decisions. I'm taking the things that I'm trying to teach people about investing, and I'm applying them. So great, you know. I don't want this to be kind of me uh, like bragging about my investment performance. This is again, I'm here to teach people. I'm here to give you concepts. What's the takeaways? What do I? What did? I, what have I taken away from? doing this exercise and seeing after looking at these type of results there's a couple of things that jump out at me I think that if I were to figure out like how did I get to this like how was I able to generate this kind of performance I think there's some definite um, learning points here that I want to share with you the first one is I don't think I would have gotten anywhere near this if I didn't have a plan if I didn't have uh, an investment ideology uh, a game plan, a playbook, and if I didn't execute it like religiously, I didn't stick to it. I think if there's something I've learned over time, <clears throat> it's it's you gotta have a plan. The people that are really good at this, they have a plan and they stick to it. They have an, an ideology of how they want to make money buying and selling stocks and ETFs, and then whatever that ideology it is. And whatever that game plan is that they've, that they've defined, they execute it and they follow it to the T. They don't get distracted. They don't let emotions come in the way and, and do it. So for me, my investment ideology is buying businesses. I don't, it's, stocks to me represent people, they represent businesses, products and services. So I want to buy companies that create really good products and services and generate tangible wealth and buy them when they're fairly priced or when they're cheap and hold them until I get a return, either the value of the company or, or a return, a personal return that I'm seeking. So my personal return that I look at with all investments is I want to make at least 20%. Every time I make an investment decision to buy a stock, I want to make at least 20%. Um, <clears throat> and when you look at the numbers here, um, as I said, uh, 46, when I broke down the numbers, uh, almost, 46% of the decisions that I made that were positive generated returns between 20 and 30%. And then 11% uh, 
of the decisions generated between greater than 30%. So if you look at it, that's almost 57% of my investment decisions, my last 100 investment decisions generated at least 20%, which was my part of my playbook, part of my investment strategy. And it's interesting because the year before, the amount, the percentage of investments that were generating over 20% was 51.8. So I went from 51.8 to 57. So again, it shows me that I'm following my playbook. I'm, I'm staying close to my playbook and I'm executing it. And, uh, <clears throat> and to me, that is the biggest factor <clears throat> that separates. If you're going to really want to get good at investing, it's about having that plan and having a strategy and then executing it religiously. So that's one takeaway I think that's important. Um, that you need to you need to get to grips with <clears throat> so if you have a plan if you don't have a plan you don't have a strategy you're just kind of like you know flailing throwing darts at a board kind of thing um, then you need to get one and either work with an advisor um, do it yourself work with an investment coach like myself get a plan build a plan and start executing it and, and building up the competencies that are going to enable you to execute that plan um, one other thing that also reinforces, a lot of people talk about investing to be a very random thing. The people that do really well with investing, there's a certain luck element involved. And uh, I think there is something to be said for that. But I really, I, I really believe that investing is a skill. And I think you need to have certain competencies to be really good at investing. And uh, what this little exercise that I've been doing here to try hopefully showing you is that um, and I'm going to get into it when we talk about timelines. Um, is I don't think invest, investing is a skill. I think it's, investing is something you can learn. The, the concept of buying and selling stocks is something you can learn. And you can develop the competencies that can allow you to do that. I don't think it's just random luck that people are good at investing. I don't think it's a fluke that Warren Buffett and you know the Jonathan Teppers of the world are and the uh, Howard Marks of the world um, just you know you know fell back assed into great investment decisions they have demonstrated competencies that allow them to do that so that's a definite takeaway for me from 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 all of this um, the other thing I was interested in looking at was my timelines like how long the holding periods for my investment decisions so how long did I hold you know when I bought a stock how long did I hold on to it for did I hold on to it for like three weeks and was I doing like day trading to get me this kind of performance or was I making decisions that were long term in focus? So if you lined up the 100 decisions, my last 100 investment decisions, the timeline of that goes back 12 years. So when you look at that first investment decision that I made out of these 100, it took place in 2006. And so it's interesting because 2006 was a year or so or a couple of years before the whole when the whole market crapped out. And that's when the S&P went down like 35 percent and everything, the financial crisis and all that crap. So this so I the sampling that I've got here goes back all the way to before that. So what it, what it tells me is it covers um, the period of time over these last of these 100 decisions covers the good times in the market and the bad times in the market and the fact that i was able to be consistently generate make decisions that were generating higher returns during diff different types of markets again that's that's a great validation and again it reinforces that whole uh 
I don't think I would have done it if I didn't have a plan, if I didn't stick to my investing ideology. When I broke down the 100 decisions that I made, the first, the time I got to the 50th investment decision, it took place uh, in from January to December of 2014. So if you go back to from 2006, that's um, eight years. It took me eight years to get to the 50th investment decision. And then since then, it to get to the, the last 50 decisions, so 50, decisions 51 to 100, took four years. So as you can see, that my timelines for when I've been holding my whatever stocks or uh, ETFs have been falling. And it's actually reflected in my average days, my holding period for, for, for these stocks, for these decisions. When I started tracking this, it was at 419 days. That was my average holding period for, for, for a decision. And the previous year, it went down to 402. And this year, it's now down to 386. Uh, hold, uh, days that I, on average, have held uh, a stock or an ETF. So almost just over a year has been my holding period. So some people might think that's short-term and some people might think it's long-term. I'll let you figure it out. You can slot it wherever you want to, but I'm just telling you what it is. Um, so I was trying to figure out, like, hey, how come, why, are my, why am I holding, making decisions and holding onto the, my stocks for lesser periods? For a lower for a lower period of time, and I think part of it is my past. Um, uh, I made a couple of bad, some of my all-time worst decisions. I talked about Mega Brands, or uh, Mega Blocks. I lost eighty-four percent on it, and then there was uh, another stock that I lost a lot of money, which was PTI Pathion. And when I made those decisions, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of behavioral things that were in, in play that led me to lose that kind of, made those bad decisions. And I think a lot of it was um, not having really a, a really well-defined playbook and well-defining uh, ideology. But I think part of it also was just the emotional side of falling uh, in love with my stocks. Um, having this belief in my mind that there's no way it's, the stock is going to go down. I've done all this research, all this analysis. There's no way the stock can go down. And you know, even if I was kept, even if these stocks kept going down and down, I kept holding because I still, I, I think I was emotionally attached to these stocks, and I just couldn't put myself to, to giving up on them. Um, and I think what that whole experience did was, I think it gave me a shorter. Uh, it made my my trigger finger, I guess, my ability to press the sell button to get out of a, a, an investment decision earlier than maybe I probably would normally have done because um, I just didn't, you just don't want to lose money, right? And I think the experience of losing that much money or generating um, such a huge loss on those two stocks, um, which I have not come even close to getting to um, since then, um, I think it, it's it's in the back of my mind when I make a decision. It's like, you know what, I got 25% return. I'm just going to take the money. And I think that's part of me, and that's my risk tolerance. That's what I'm comfortable with. It, it may not be what you're comfortable with, but I think it's just, again, having an in tune, being in tune with what you're comfortable with and what you're not uncomfortable with. And I think the fact that experience that I went through holding, losing, uh, making those bad decisions, I think has played into a certain level of my ability to kind of sell maybe more prematurely than maybe uh, than I would I should I should have. 
And so I think that is reflective in the fact that my average holding period now is, is falling now from you know 419 days to 386 days. So, um, <clears throat> so I think that's another part of it is, is uh, that behavioral side of it can really do a lot of damage and can really influence you on how you make decisions in the future. So that's another takeaway uh, out of it. Another takeaway, which I was really pleased to see, was the the 100 decisions that I made were not concentrated in specific sectors. Um, you know, I didn't put it all into tech stocks, or I didn't put it all into Bitcoin and blockchain technology. You know, I was investing the stocks that I was holding, the ETFs that I was holding. They were in tech. They were in retail. Um, they were in oil and gas, commodities, copper, healthcare. Um, country-based ETFs, sector-based ETFs. Um, so it's all over the place. So that's, again, another good thing that I, I, I take comfort in is that I wasn't just trying to change. And it's, again, reinforcing my investment ideologies. I was looking to invest in good, solid, well-run businesses. And part of my ideology is I don't care what those businesses are. Uh, I just want to invest. I don't care. I don't have to invest in a tech company. I want to invest in the best companies. And if they happen to be a technology company or an oil and gas company or whatever, or, you know, uh, a bank or whatever, so be it. And I think that diverse, having that diverse nature, uh, a focus of looking for companies, I think goes a long way. Um, I think having that diversity uh, does play a factor also in, in, in the types of returns that you can potentially generate. Um, now, the other thing that I want to just also reinforce to is, um, you know, hey, 84 out of 100 positive decisions, so I obviously made 16 not-so-good decisions. And I think the other thing, what this little exercise doesn't tell you is, it doesn't tell you the, about some of the skeletons in my closet. And, and one of the things that, <clears throat> as I said, the whole premise is based on buying something and then selling it. So right now there's a lot of there's some stocks in my portfolio that are not doing well. And one that I've talked about quite a bit is my short position on the S&P 500 over the last 4 years now, 5 years I've been, I've had a short position and a pretty major short position on the S&P 500. I overall you know I've talked about it um, I believe the overall stock market is overpriced. I think assets are overpriced and are due for a major, major correction. Um, that being said, my investment ideology is to buy stocks, so which is what I can, I I do. Now, that decision that I've made, like I've, I'm still short that position, and I'm down quite a bit. I'm down sixty percent on that position. Um, it's not reflected in my 100 because uh, I haven't sold it. I still own the position. Now, if I were to sell it tomorrow, then the next time I do my elect, it would be reflected in my future 100 um, update. So I just want to put it out there that, you know, 84 out of 100 investment decisions that are positive, there's some bad ones in there. I've made mistakes. And they just haven't been crystallized yet. They're sort of hanging around my portfolio. I don't like them hanging around my portfolio, but they're there. But I just, again, want to put it out there that I got some duds in my portfolio. I've got some dud decisions that I'm not too happy about or not doing. And again, it feeds into this other concept as um, stocks don't go up in a straight line. 
um, you know, I made 84 positive investment decisions. Trust me, those stocks didn't just, I didn't buy them at $10 and they just went up in a straight line. A lot of those stocks that I owned, a lot of those ETFs that I owned, were I was losing money on those positions. But I, you know, because I believed in the, my ideology and, and I'm sticking true to my investment plan, I held on to those stocks. And in fact, a lot of times I probably bought more shares to average down the cost because I believed the, the, it was consistent with my investment plan and, and my investment strategy. So just want to put it out there. As much as we get good things, we, we, you can the chances of you making good investment decisions are there, you're going to make some bad investment decisions. And a lot of times you're going to be holding stuff at a loss. And it's just part of the gig. It just comes with the territory with investing. Things don't go up in a straight line as soon as you buy it. As much as we'd like to think they are, hey, I bought Apple, so now it can go up now. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, the other thing I think both through this exercise that as much as I'm really pleased with the results, and hopefully I'm able to demonstrate to people that taking these type of approaches that I incorporate and in how I teach people investing can get you results, you have to be humble. And one of the things we get really, um, we can get really cocky about our results. Like I can go out there and just thump my chest and stick it in people's faces and trash talk um, you know, how good my results are and how good the results that I can get. And the one thing you have to be mindful of, and I think I'm very mindful of, is, is recency bias. Just because I've made the last 100 decisions that I made have made so far have been really good, or a majority of it has been good, it doesn't mean that this pattern is going to continue. I could suck donkeys after this. Uh, my next year's snapshot could be really bad. The markets could crash, and you know I've had to. I would have to make some tough investment decisions. If so. It's really easy to get cocky, and the market has a really great way of just kind of punching you in the face instead of putting you in your place. Um, and so I have to be, and that's, again, that's the, I keep emphasizing, if you have your plan and if you have a playbook and a strategy and an ideology of how you want to make investment decisions, these behavioral components that can really screw with your mind and screw with your decision making you can keep them at bay. You can manage it, and it's just going to increase the chances of you keeping more money in your pocket and building more money um, for the future. So the last thing I want to, again, and this kind of builds up to all of this, all these elements that I've been talking about, is it's the importance of just being engaged in the process. And I think what it does, having a plan, having a strategy, executing that strategy, staying to that tra strategy, it engages you, it puts you in the process, it gets you in the game, it forces you to practice, and it forces you to, to be, take responsibility for, for your investments, for, for the decisions that you make. And the people that are really good at investing that I've learned from, and hopefully I've been able to help people with is they're always engaged in the process. They're not kind of taking a very hands-off, passive-oriented approach, even though that is the style of, of the moment. Um, the people that are really good and can generate great returns are people that are constantly practicing, constantly engaging, and knowing how their investments are doing, and are always on the lookout for future investment opportunities. They're not waiting for the fad to occur and then getting in. They're not chasing fads. They're not chasing. They're, they're, they're being proactive. So <clears throat> I just wanted to share this with you. Um, I said it's uh, because I think there's 
I think it's a worthy exercise. Maybe try it with your own self, try it yourself to see, you know, and, and see what kind of takeaways you can get with the decisions that you make. And uh, I felt it's really, this is like a really important podcast for me because, um, as I said, my cornerstone of what I'm about is about transparency. It's one thing for me to be some guy out there spewing a bunch of concepts about investing. It's another thing for me to actually um, practice what I, what I teach. It's another thing to walk the talk, and it's another thing to actually show tangible results. And so hopefully um, this is one way for me that I feel comfortable with to show you, uh, show people um, that if you engage in the process, you have a plan and a framework for how you're going to make investment decisions. You constant, you practice, you practice, and you practice. You've got a shot at this. You can do this. Um, I'm not a brainchild. I'm not a genius. I don't have, you know, I got B's and C's in school. I'm not the smartest kid in the can, you know, kid in the, in the class. Never have, never will be. But I think. If you're, if you're engaged and you're motivated and you're willing to put the time in and you're willing to, to elevate your knowledge and your literacy about concepts in investing and learn things from, from a principles-based approach instead of a mechanical formulaic approach, I think you got a shot. I think I really believe people can do a good job and can do almost as good a job as anybody on Wall Street or on Bay Street. So check it out. Uh, my full blog is on my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can actually go to the homepage. There's a link right there. I call it Show Me the, Mon- Show Me- Show Me the Money, My Last 100 Investment Decisions, My Last 100 Trades. And take a look at it. And love to hear what you have to say about it. You can send me an email through my website, sageinvestors.ca. Uh, if you're interested in some of the courses that I teach and some or coaching sessions that I offer, um, you can get there's more information on the website. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm always on there uh, tweeting different, um, sharing different ideas, concepts, takes from myself and other people. Um, my handle is at Sage Investors. Uh, my Facebook page, you can also find me on my Facebook page, which is Sage Investors. And I'm on, once in a while, I'll throw something up on Instagram. You can find me Sage Investors Nation on that one. So that's all I got for you this week. Um, Thanks for listening in. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amanena of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.